Hello and welcome to another episode of Riding Unicorns, the podcast that celebrates high growth businesses and the people behind them. Today, we are delighted to have Sam Hodges, Growth Director at Newman. On this podcast, we've interviewed lots of VCs and founders, but we also want to bring the stories of people who are in key roles at growing businesses and understand what they do, how they got there, and their impact on the business as a whole. So thanks very much for joining, Sam. Welcome on board. Thanks for having me, James. Good to, good to be here. Thanks. Sam, can you tell us a bit about your career to date and how you ended up at Newman? Sure. So um, starting at, at sort of university, I knew I always wanted to, to work in, in smaller businesses. Uh, I actually have a degree in technology entrepreneurship from the University of Surrey, which is a slightly unusual one, but essentially it's, it was a grandiose term for, uh, for business and computing, which has obviously served me, served me pretty well as I've gone through, gone through my career. I was sort of listening to, to one of your um, podcasts recently with Hamish from Thriver, and we have an interesting overlap in that we're probably two of the uh, only people to have been made redundant from a position before we started. Um, so I was supposed to be doing an internship with, with Microsoft, where they unfortunately laid off the entire division I was supposed to be working in. I actually ended up working for, for Hewlett-Packard for a year, which was really great. It taught me a lot of uh, basic business fundamentals. Uh, and then after, after I graduated, I moved on to a company called Fusepump, which is like a, a marketing technology agency. I was working there for, for a long time, I think four, four or five years in the end, working on, on a lot of large companies like Nokia, John Lewis, and Microsoft in the end, actually, ironically. And then I moved to, uh, to TM Lewin, where I headed up the, uh, the sort of performance marketing and the, and the digital marketing side. Learned a lot about that, but decided I wanted to move back to a, to a much smaller company. So I moved, I decided to, to, to move to Newman and it was, uh, it was a really good decision. I've learned masses working here and it's been a, an amazing journey so far. Yeah, great. And how important was it in the company's mission for you to leave TM Lewin and, and join Newman? It, it, it was massive for me. I think working at a company like TM Lewin is, it's great. You, you learn a lot, but there's only so much you can change people's lives by selling them nice shirts. I think moving to a company like Newman, a genuine thing which you can sometimes forget when you're inside the, the sort of day-to-day mechanics of the business that you're actually changing people's lives. We quite actively review things that we get through Trustpilot. We actively speak to our customers and uh, you lose sight of it sometimes in the operations. But when you read some, like, some, some, some messages which are talking about how you've saved people's relationships, you've really changed their lives. It puts things into perspective of when you're talking about, you're talking about metrics and you're talking about growth. It's, it all sort of pales into insignificance in regard to, to actually changing people's lives, which is amazing. It's not something that I can, you know, say I've, I've done before in selling computers, helping people sell more products. John Lewis is a completely different thing and it's amazing. Yeah. And you guys have a whole range of products across men's health, but how would you describe the company's mission? So we're a, a digital clinic sort of designed uh, t- to help men to, to do something about their health. I think there's a massive health gap for, for men in particular in the UK that men just don't go to the doctor as much as women do. And I think there's, there's, there's reasons behind that. Uh, and I think we're, we're just trying to help give men the tools to be able to take those first steps and hopefully help start to really help improve their, their health outcomes and start to, to, to close that gap. So we've started out with, with, with conditions which men are historically bad at, at dealing with. So erectile dysfunction in particular has been a, a big condition for us at the start. And when, when we actually launched Newman, we did a big survey of, of, of men in the UK and we found some you know, fairly shocking statistics that I think it was 35, 40% of men would rather break up with their partner than actually speak to them about erectile dysfunction. And that's something which we found just an incredible statistic. And we're 
really proud to be able to say that we're, we're doing something about it to help men to stop that sort of behavior because it, it's something which would be happening in today's day and age yeah and how, how big was the company when you joined and how big are you guys now so I was literally the, the, the first employee to be offered a job at, to be offered a job at Newman. I was actually not the first to join. I had a three month notice period at, uh, at TM Lewin. So when I joined, I think there were four of us in an office upstairs in, in the same, it's actually the same building we're in now, uh, but now we're in a large, much larger space inside the building. So we've grown from zero up to, I actually don't know the exact number off the top of my head, which tells, which tells me everything. We're hiring a lot at the moment. We've got, I think we've got five or six new people starting in, in December. Uh, and I think we're up in the mid thirties in terms of headcount now and, and we're growing. It's obviously not how we judge the success, but it's been amazing to go through that process from zero. It's something I've done, I've done a little bit before. So when I joined FusePump, it was, I think it was eight or nine people. And when I left, it was, I think, 65. But this, the, the growth at Newman's been massive in, in the two years, or, you know, almost, almost two years that I've been in the business. It's obviously completely different. We're now a, 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 a big growing business, whereas before we were people planning to launch a business, which is completely different. Yeah. So as growth director, you've obviously added to your team. How involved are you with the hiring process for that? Very involved with the people, obviously, that, that I'm hiring directly. We brought in, I think, six people now into the team, including, well, that includes two which are joining in December. So it takes, it does take a long time to hire in the right people. I think some of the roles we've had them open for a few months and Finding that sort of right person makes it makes a transformative difference to the section that they're running. And I think it's much better to take the time to find the right person. So I spend a lot of time reviewing CVs. I always take for, for, for the first interviews, I always take an hour to speak to people because I think it's good to, to take time, especially at, at the moment where we're having to do video interviews and, and, and things to find that person. I think it's a really good commitment of time because it helps you to understand the person and to make the right decision from a, from a hiring perspective about whether or not they'll fit into the company culture as well as, well as the skill fit. Because we've sort of touched, touched with so far, you know, we've, we've hired, we've hired incredibly well for the amount of people that we've added in a short time. I think everyone's come in and has really hit the ground running and long way that continue. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything in particular you guys look for when hiring? Is there like a silver bullet that is a, a clincher or is it quite broad? So it, it depends on the type of roles that, that we're looking for, but for, for myself, because I've got more of a, a marketing technology background, I, I look for people who are, who are interested in that in particular, because I think it's something which enables you to find your own answers. I think a lot of times that the sort of more traditional marketers that I've worked with in the past are incredible at their, at their jobs, but they, they struggle sometimes to find the answers themselves and that slows them down. Whereas if you could find people who are equally as comfortable writing a marketing brief as they are querying an Excel database, you know, that's, that's an Excel database, an SQL database. Um, then that's then that's perfect because they're not constrained by waiting for other people. They can get what they need. They can crack on and they can start making meaningful change without waiting. And that's something which not everyone has. I think a lot of people that uh, that come from a more agency background uh, struggle with that because it's it, they obviously don't have access necessarily to to the client data. But it, as much as anything, an aptitude to learn is always more important for me. I think I've I've hired in the past for experience over over potential and I think every time I've done that I've always looked back and thought actually I've hired a junior person and now within six months they've got the experience and now they're going to overtake the person who had the experience so always hire for or we always hire for, for potential and for, and, and for aptitude over experience but there's no there's no substitute sometimes for, for having the right experience to, be able to hit the ground running but that's very much our, our sort of um, hiring criteria yeah 
Yeah. So probably pre-Facebook, growth wasn't really a term used in many job titles. You're obviously the growth director at Newman. What does growth mean to you and generally in the market nowadays? It's, it's very much about being a role, which is people use the word obsession quite flippantly, but obsessed with the, with, with, with metrics and for continuous improvement. I think it's pretty much all about test and learn. I think you can complicate the definition of growth by throwing in all sorts of different definitions around how, how products should be involved, how data analytics should be involved, but really it's about having that sort of test and learn mindset. I've, I've worked in plenty of places and with plenty of businesses where you work with marketing directors or with, you know, with, with senior leaders inside those businesses who are from a more old school mindset of, I've got an idea, we're going to execute against the idea, and then we're going to prove that my idea is correct. Whereas I think in, to have a proper growth mindset and to be able to be effective inside a growth role, it's all about the, the sort of throughput of, of ideas that you can test and of knowledge that you can gain. So creating that you know, fundamental system to be continuously improving. So if you're doing, you should be doing tests on, on all areas of the site that you can control and that you can do. And that's, that for me is, is pretty much the core of it. Other than that, people, there's, there's tend to be different definitions. If you're going for a growth role, I would, I would highly advise asking the same question to the person who's making the hiring decision, because it does, the, the definition can absolutely change depending on who you're talking to. But fundamentally, at, at its core, it should always be about continuous improvement, continuous testing. If you're always testing, you should always be learning. Even if they fail, you learn that didn't work. So that's it for me. Yeah, absolutely. And what percentage of your time at Newman is spent on trial and error of organic channels versus trial and error of paid channels? We put a lot of effort into, into our organic channels. Obviously, it takes a little bit longer for, for you to learn from them, but we do a lot of, we put a lot of effort into our content in particular. So one of the, one of the first things that we did at launch was we actually wrote um, a, a book, the book Directions which is available on our, on our site right now. And, and that was fantastic for, for being able to, to, to use in a variety of ways. So from an SEO perspective, it's seriously rich content. It's, it's fantastic. It's able to, we're able to use it to generate links and we were able to use it from a, from a PR perspective. Uh, we actually got it printed. We had it in these fantastic leather bindings, which were amazing. <laughs> we've got one around, we've still got some around the office somewhere. They, they, they smell incredible. <laughs> but generally speaking, obviously optimizing our, our organic and, and really investing in, in building up that, that organic base is, is, is of vital importance because you, it, it's impossible to build a business on PPC alone because you, you just won't be able to, to scale fast enough. The capital um, requirements are obviously massive, especially if you work inside a competitive niche. So, I mean, for erectile dysfunction, for example, is, is a super competitive term. It, it's, it, if you can, you can acquire inside a, inside a um, reasonable lifetime value but it's still a capital requirement while you're gaining that value back. So it's, it's just not possible to do that. Whereas the, the amount of search traffic, for example, that's available uh, just by being intelligent and, and trying to hit those niches that other people aren't necessarily in and, and driving those people into a, a sort of robust CRM system is something where you know, we spend a lot of time, probably, probably half of our time working on CRM, working on social, working on our content dread, content-led strategies. Is, is, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's vital. You can't, do it. you can't build a business without it. And in terms of growth, working with other departments, which other departments do, are you regularly in contact with and, and working with? So the standard thing that, that people would, would assume correctly is that growth and product are, are super closely linked together. You can't have an effective growth, growth function without, without an effective product function. Obviously, we need to be able to make as, much, as many changes as possible to the website, to the funnel, to, uh, to, to make sure we're optimizing for conversion. 
Um, but it's of equal importance is, is working with operations, making sure our, our product mix is right, making sure that the margin characteristics of, of the products are right. Um, and also customer service is a massive thing for us. So our, our customer service function is the, ultimately the cold face of the business. It's where customers are speaking to, to people on a, on a daily basis and they gather a huge amount of information. So we speak to them regularly, as I've already mentioned, we spend a lot of time looking at reviews and trying to understand more of what our customers want and what, and what their pain points are. And we put in optimizations, not just around customer acquisition, but also around customer experience. So obviously we want a, a, a purely um, business perspective, a happy customer is more likely to, to, to stay a customer. So we want to make sure that, that they're properly looked after and that we can make sure their experience is great. So the growth function expands out and almost becomes like penetrates lots of different parts of the business based on what I was saying around this test and optimization strategy. So how can we increase our customer acquisition rates as much as how can we increase the customer satisfaction so that people will stay around for longer? Yeah. Which growth channel has surprised you in its success? So I think... But when I joined, I, I knew that we would be able to make the traditional digital channels work. I knew we'd be able to get PPC to work. I knew we'd be able to get paid social to work. I knew we'd be able to get things like affiliates to work. What I think has, has surprised me is how our investments in, in offline channels have worked. So everyone who, who watches football knows that Newman does TV advertising. And that has surprised me in, in terms of how it operates. So I, I hadn't worked with TV before we joined Newman. And it, it's, it's really difficult to get TV to work. It's something which is, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of effort. You can't just dip your toe in with TV. You have to jump in the water. Uh, and the amount of optimizations and things that we've done has made that really work for us as a, as a branding channel. But also some of the work we've done with, without home was, it was a really, really interesting learning experience for, for, for me and, and for the business as well. We've learned, we learned a lot working with businesses like Ad Media to do uh, sort of out of home posters and things like service stations and things, which is some places where we've managed to have some success along with other areas as well. When we launched Neiman, we did, a, we, we, did a, we did a bus campaign, for example, which is really interesting. It drove quite a lot of interactions with the brand. And what we, what we learned was that the efficacy of, of, of outdoor and of these, all of these medias is, is, is there's not a huge amount of point in just doing one, one thing. Um, if you do it, if you do a, a two week campaign to launch a business and then never follow it up again, people are going to forget very quickly. And what we've tried to do is when we're investing in something, we, we try and continue that investment. So the, the sort of out of home relationship we've set up has led to us having continuous presence for over a long period of time, which has been really effective. And, and that along with what we already talked about around making sure we've got great content and, and growing the organic has really helped to, to take the business on to the next level. Well, we make it, well, you know, we make improvements to TPC and to paid social They're They're not necessarily like the things which are driving the business forwards. Yeah. And if it's quite complex and requires quite a lot of trial and error, do you wish you'd done it earlier? Or do you think there is a really key sweet spot in timing these kind of broader branding channels based on where you're at with your you know, digital channels? I, I thought about this before and actually, no. So it took us, it took us a long time to obviously get going with, with all of these, but actually through essentially through a function of what happened with COVID, it turned into into us essentially almost having the, the perfect timing. So investing in TV now, for example, if you were start if you decided you want to start a TV campaign now, it would be harder than when we started to really ramp up our investment. The, the rates for TV in I think April, for example, were I think about seventy five percent down year on year. So when we started to increase our investment, we were, we were playing in a in an environment which was which was hugely friendly to us. 
in comparison to when you look at now the rates are still down year on year but they're not down by anywhere near the same amount and the, the sort of Christmas period is typically more, more expensive to invest in TV anyway so actually if, if, if you if all things being equal would I have done things differently absolutely we, we almost played a perfect game unintentionally which turned out to be you know to be great because obviously as a business which sells pharmaceutical products direct to consumer people probably weren't too keen to go to pharmacies and to go to GP surgeries. So that combined with the sort of lower cost TV and, and I mean, out of home now obviously is still considerably cheaper uh, than, than it would be in other places. It turned out to actually be a pretty good time for us. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen the PlayStation campaign recently, which has been everywhere, which is Almost yeah. an out of home campaign doing better online than it's probably doing in real life. Yeah, so our, our office is is just down from down from Oxford Street, and I think I was saying to someone the other day, I I, th- I think I've seen that campaign more online than I would have done if I was actually just walking up and down Oxford Street in my day to day business. <laughs> yeah, it's the power of the visual of the campaign that is really great. So, what is your definition of growth hacking, and is the term dead? I've never liked the term growth hacking because I think it, it implies a, a level of, I suppose, disorganization and randomness. It should be based around a framework of some sort. So you shouldn't just be going around thinking, oh, I'm going to have a go at that next. And I'm going to have a go at that and have a go at that next. I think it leads sometimes to, to, to people acting in a way which is not actually the, the best way of them fulfilling growth. You want to create a backlog of things that you want to do and prioritize them sensibly so that you're working on things in, in the correct order. I think just the idea of well, the, the term hacking just makes it sound more like grubby and dirty than it, than it needs to be. It shouldn't be like that. I, I've, I've always said this. This is something that you've got the same answer from me five years ago as you will today. If we're running a, a backlog of tests about PPC, for example, we want to be executing the, you know, the tests that we have the most confidence in, the most that we think are going to have the best impact for the business. So it's not, a, it's not a hacking thing. It's very much a logical, a logical thing. It's almost calling backend engineers API hackers. They probably wouldn't like that. Yeah, because it implies that they're not doing things in a logical, structured way. So for me, it's the, it's the same thing. It's because it should be a, a logical, structured process. Hacking isn't necessarily the correct term. You, you, you could almost argue that engineer is a closer term, but I think just growth people in general the, you know, the, the term the terms hopefully is, is good enough if, if it's defined if it's defined well and people understand it yeah and at Newman you were hired early in the journey and and led the growth from an early stage how important was it do you think hiring someone specifically focused on growth at that early stage and do you think that some companies leave it too late and what would you recommend to other founders about you know, what, what employee number is the ideal for hiring a growth director? Obviously, I think they got it at the perfect timing. I think Socrates got the perfect timing. <laughs> but I, I think it depends, on, it depends on the type of business. So if you're a business that has a really long development cycle to get a product to market, if you're building a new fintech venture or even, even a martech venture, for example, it might not necessarily be the right time if you're expecting to be six months before your product's ready to, to go to market. Probably not the best time to hire a growth director because they'll probably just get in, get in the way and get, get in the way of that product being built. But I think before you um, go to market, it's worth having um, that person in because they'll help you to define how you should go to market, what launch should be, and to hopefully get things like your, uh, especially for DTC businesses, get your funnel in a way where you're testing from the off. I have seen some quite a few businesses who, who wait for a while to hire in that person because they don't, they don't have the budget for, for testing and things like that. It, it means that you will sometimes set up your business in a way which might not necessarily fit well with growth when you add it in. 
because it is quite it can be a cultural shift to a lot of companies, particularly companies that have been going for for a while. So I, I think having them in from an, as early stage as you can afford them is the best way of putting it. it is the right, absolutely the right thing to do because they will help. A good growth manager will help you to pull in uh, customers from right from the start. Yeah, investors often talk about KPIs and metrics and sometimes even set targets for companies to hit for future funding rounds. How much do you think companies should pay attention to that versus following their own North Star? And how do you think any kind of tips or experiences of managing that as you guys have gone through funding rounds? I think regardless of whether you're the kind of company which is, you might have a, a really visionary CEO. If you're, a, if you're a growth person inside that business, you have to be obsessed with the, with the metrics and you have to make sure they're going in the right direction. I think there's, there's, there should always be someone inside the company who is obsessed with CAC to LTV, for example. It doesn't need to be perfect from the start because it just won't be when you first launch a company. If you can launch the company from the start and on day one, where you've not optimized anything, you're getting the LTV to CAC of three to one. Amazing. But most companies won't have that journey. It's going to start off, you're going to start off with expensive acquisition costs. And as you experiment, you're going to decrease the, the acquisition costs and hopefully increase your, your, your LTV. And generally, I think we're really hot on people inside the business owning their own KPIs. So I mentioned before, like we, we try and hire people who can find the answers themselves. And if, you know, if when we hire them, they can't, we try and teach them how to do that. Because I think it, it drives a level of, I guess, a level of pride in their own um, work. They can see if, if we make a change to, um, to our lifecycle program, it has this impact on LTV. And people like that fundamentally. They like seeing that what they're doing has an impact. And I think pushing companies to be metric driven is, is great. As long as you don't lose sight of that North Star metric, like you say, we're, we're here to, we exist to, uh, to help men to do something about their, about their health. And we don't forget that, but we do it in a, we're trying to do it in a way which is sustainable for, for the business. Yeah. And you guys have obviously gone through a, a few rounds of funding, but for a series A, which is often a you know, big benchmark for a lot of companies, I hear investors setting all different types of ratios for LTV, which for anyone who doesn't know is lifetime value versus CAC, which is customer acquisition cost. You mentioned a kind of three to one there. What do you see typically as a strong metric or a you know no-brainer metric to aim for a series a i think three to one is a good um, level for just for it's a general for the business but it, it, it completely depends it, it also depends on how you're defining lifetime value because if you're a business which has been going for a year and you don't really even have 12 months of data it's a forecast ltv and, but you don't know what's going to happen after 12 months so if you're a SaaS business and you're expecting your average contract life cycle to be you know 36 months or whatever if you've been going for 12 your projections are going to be discounted by anyone who's making that investment. So I think for a, for a business, if, as long as you can show that you're on a trajectory to achieving a good um, LTV to, to, to CAC ratio, um, for example, and that you've got a credible plan to get there and that the plan that you've executed over the last 12 months is showing some, some, some good progress, then I think there's no like, exact number. It doesn't need to be this. It doesn't need to be that. It's, it's, you need to show that it's, that it's credible. Yeah. Absolutely. Sam, it's been brilliant talking to you. It's always interesting to talk to early employees and understand more about their roles within companies. And you've been on an amazing journey from where you are to where Newman is now. And I wish you all the success. And thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, James. It's yeah, re really enjoyable. Thanks. It was really great talking to Sam and hopefully useful for anyone that is considering a growth role or hiring for growth. 
and uh, always interesting to get the perspective of early employees. We did have some sound issues, but hopefully people got the gist of things and um, understood everything we were talking about. If people do have any questions about jargon or terminology, please do get in touch and be happy to answer those questions. Newman's a great company. They've been growing really quickly and you've probably seen their adverts around, but if you haven't, go and check them out at newman.com. Next week, we have Mustafa Kambai, who's got some really amazing stories about his time at Virgin and also at Uber and uh, some of the experiences he had in their high growth period when they launched in the UK. Some of you may also have seen that we came 68th in the top 100 UK business podcasts in Spotify. Thank you everyone for your ongoing support and hope we can break into the top 10 next year when we've had a full year of episodes. Obviously we've only been going eight weeks so yeah hopefully next year we can get a bit higher but I really appreciate everyone's support so far. Catch us next time on Riding Unicorns.